In the church calendar, the celebration of Christmas begins four Sundays before Christmas Day, and that would be today. Today is the first Sunday of Advent, which is why Adam and Sarah and Ainsley and David uh, lit our first candle in our Advent wreath this morning. Now, as you look at this wreath, you'll notice that there are four outer candles, each one representing one of the Sundays of Advent. And so each Sunday, we will light another one of these candles. And then in the center is a fifth candle, oftentimes called the Christ candle. That is a candle that gets lit on Christmas Day, uh, sometimes on Christmas Eve. And it represents the culminating event in Advent which is, of course, the birth of Jesus, the coming of Jesus. And that is what the word Advent means. It means coming or arrival. Well, the season of Advent is meant to be a time of preparation and anticipation. Preparation and anticipation that is both backward as well as forward-looking. Now, Jesus has already been born. That's why we celebrate Christmas. And so in that sense, it is backward looking. But we also know that Advent is intended to remind us that Jesus is coming back. He has made a promise that one day he will return again. He's with the Father in heaven now, but he is coming back one day to finally and forever fix our broken but beautiful world. And so in Advent, we both remember his first coming and we anticipate his second coming. The first Advent and one day the second Advent. Now, different churches, they celebrate Advent in different ways. Um, Some have very specific themes and passages of Scripture that they look look at um, on very specific Sundays leading up to Advent. For some churches... The color of each candle is significant. Some of them even make a big deal about the kind of wax that is used in each of the candles, believe it or not. Now, we aren't nearly that formal here at DFBC, but we will be celebrating Advent and the the four Sundays uh, leading up to Christmas this year. But as we do it this year, we are going to focus on Christmas travelers on people who made a journey related to the celebration of the very first Christmas. And so in the coming weeks, we are going to look at three very different journeys, the people who made them, and what we can learn from them. This morning, we are going to meet our first travelers, a man by the name of Zachariah, and his wife, Elizabeth. We're going to see that their journey, while very ordinary in many ways, became extraordinary when God broke into it. And we are going to consider how their very ordinary journey and God's great goodness together give us reason for hope during this season. If you have a Bible... I want to invite you to open up to Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, which uh, in the Red Bibles is on page 1589. 
Now, we are going to meet our first traveler, Zachariah, more than a year before the first Christmas. Zachariah is a priest, and he lives with his wife in the hill country of Judah, or in the hill country of Judea, uh, which is just south of Jerusalem. Uh, we're going to pick up the story in verse 5, in Luke chapter 1, verse 5. In the time of King Herod, or Herod, king of Judah, uh, Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. So in the opening verses of this story, we learn that Zechariah and Elizabeth are childless and not by choice. Over the course of their marriage, Elizabeth had been unable to get pregnant, and now it was too late because of their age. And this was a significant grief for them. It was not what they had imagined. And while today, certainly some couples will choose not to have children, this would have been unheard of, an unheard of choice to have made in the ancient world. Children were expected, and they were also understood to be a sign of God's blessing. And so to have not had children was a significant loss for Zechariah and Elizabeth, not one that they would have ever dreamed or even imagined would happen to them. And then their childlessness would have also been a mystery to their friends and to their neighbors as well. After all, there didn't seem to be any reason why God would withhold this kind of a blessing from them. See, in terms of their heritage, the text tells us that both Zechariah and Elizabeth were descendants of Aaron, the brother of Moses. This made Zechariah a member of the priesthood from the division of Abijah. And as a priest, he could have... Uh, rightfully married any faithful Israelite women, but he had done even better than this. See, his wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. To be a priest and then to also have a wife of such heritage would have been considered a special privilege. And so why had God not then blessed them with children? It would not have made sense to them or to anyone who knew them. Especially when we also learn that Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were righteous people. We're told that they loved God, that they lived their ways and they lived their lives in ways that honored God. They obeyed the law, the commands that God had given to their people through Moses. And so why had God not then blessed them with children? But despite their faithfulness, their family had not turned out like they had expected. In spite of their devotion to living according to God's command, life had not turned out like they had hoped that it would. And Maybe this is an experience that some of us, some of you here this morning can relate to. Maybe there are aspects of your life that have not turned out like you expected or had hoped. Maybe like, <clears throat> maybe, like, 
maybe like Zachariah and Elizabeth. You long for a child that hasn't come. Or maybe your struggle is with singleness that's been thrust upon you by death or divorce. Or maybe you've just never found that right person to share your life with. Or maybe maybe your career hasn't played out like you expected it to or had planned. Maybe what seemed like a secure job has now become very uncertain. Maybe you're facing a chronic illness or grappling with limitations that come with that illness or with advancing years. See, like Zachariah and Elizabeth, many of us know what it is like to have parts of our lives not turn out like we expected or like we had hoped. And these unexpected, these unforeseen, these unwanted circumstances, they can break our hearts and maybe even threaten to crush our spirits. Well, it's in the ordinariness of these kinds of disappointments and the ordinariness of a life tinged by grief and loss that Zechariah travels to Jerusalem. A very ordinary journey that he has made many times before. Look at verse 8. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, He was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So twice a year, uh, Zechariah and the rest of the priests that were part of his division, they would have journeyed to Jerusalem to complete their week of service in the temple that was there in Jerusalem making this what would have been a very ordinary journey for Zechariah, one that he had made many, many times before. But this time, something special happens. Zechariah is chosen from amongst all the other priests to be the one to make the offer of incense on the altar that was located there inside the temple. Here's why this was such a big deal. Twice a day, twice every day, at dawn and at dusk, incense was offered and burned on the altar of incense there in the temple. This special altar was located inside the temple building itself in the chamber that was known as the holy place. The altar itself was located in front of a heavy curtain, a veil that separated the holy place which is where the altar was, from the most holy place. You may know it as the Holy of Holies, which is where God's presence was understood to dwell there in the temple. Into this most holy place, only one priest, the high priest, was allowed to enter, and only once a year, and that would, be, would have been on the Day of Atonement. <clears throat> and for, so for Zechariah to have been granted the priestly duty which took him so close to the place of God's presence would have been one of the greatest honors that he could ever hope to receive. It was an honor that a priest was allowed only once. And many priests never had a chance to experience. 
See, the best historical records that we have indicate that in Zechariah's day, the priesthood numbered about 18,000 men, which then suggests that each division consisted of about 750 priests, only one of which was chosen each morning and evening during the week of service to offer the incense. And this was an assignment that was made through the casting of lots. Now, we may think of this practice, the casting of lots, as a way in order to ensure that the process of choosing was, was random and fair. But for the priests, it had a different significance. For them, in their minds, it put the decision of who was going to do this squarely into God's hands. It was God who decided who would be the one to enter the temple, approach the place of his presence, and offer the incense on the altar each morning and evening. And on the fateful day that the lot fell to Zechariah, it became clear that his selection was not random. Because as Zechariah approached the incense altar, a messenger of God appeared to him with a special message from God for him. Look at verse 11. <clears throat> then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And so what began with a very ordinary journey to Jerusalem turned into something extraordinary when God broke into the ordinariness of it all. An angel, Gabriel, announced to Zechariah that his prayer had been answered. He and Elizabeth are going to have a son. Now we might assume that Zechariah's continued prayer had been for a child. And that is certainly possible. But it isn't necessarily exactly what he had been praying for. And so, while I am sure that he and Elizabeth had prayed many a prayer for children in their younger years, it seems likely that by now they had probably given up any hope of actually having children, of this happening to them. <clears throat> and so what seems more likely is that actually that Zechariah, as a priest of Israel, had been interceding on behalf of his people, asking God to send the Messiah that he had promised to them and that they had all been waiting and longing for. But whatever his prayer actually was, what we know for sure is that it had been heard and now it was going to be answered. Zechariah and Elizabeth are going to have a child, a son that would play an important role 
in the coming of God's Messiah. Well, Zechariah's initial fear and shock over what he's seen and hearing, it's quickly replaced by skepticism. Look at verse 18. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and, I, and my wife is well along in years. That's kind of a delicate way to put it, right? I am old. My wife, she's just well along. <laughs> the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. You know, I can't help but wonder if Zachariah had maybe just paused for another moment to reflect before he responded, if maybe things might have turned out a little differently for him here. I mean, after all, the, this promise of a son, I mean, no matter how unlikely or how impossible it might have seemed to him, it was being delivered to him by the angel Gabriel. But in the moment, Zechariah doubts. He doubts the extraordinary news that he's just, been, he's just received. And in response, he's told by Gabriel that he is now going to be deaf and mute until this child, this promised child, is actually born. Well, while all of this is going on inside the temple, uh, there is a crowd of worshipers that is gathered outside waiting for Zechariah to emerge. And usually, the, this, to make this offering of incense, it wasn't something that took a very long time. And then once the priest, the chosen priest, um, would make this offering, they were then to come out and join other priests who were already outside the temple so that together they could pronounce the Aaronic blessing over the assembled worshipers who were there. The Aaronic blessing being that same blessing that, that we often use here to conclude our services. Well, when Zechariah does finally emerge after this conversation with Gabriel, everyone can tell that something extraordinary has clearly happened. Look at verse 21. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak. Uh, we can only speculate on how well Zechariah was able to communicate with everyone there about his extraordinary experience or how much of it they were even willing to believe. But regardless, at the end of his week of ordinary service, Zechariah returned home to Elizabeth with some truly extraordinary news. Verse 23, when his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. And so against all odds, but just as Gabriel had promised, Elizabeth becomes pregnant. 
Now, at this point, if we were to continue on in the text, we would see that the text shifts its focus. And it focuses on the divine promise of another even more extraordinary birth, the birth of Jesus. Um, But that's a birth that we're going to look at next week instead. So if we jump forward to the end of the chapter, we read that a son was born to Zachariah and Elizabeth, just as Gabriel promised. So if you jump down to verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. They said to her, there's no one among your relatives who has that name. And then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was set free and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all of these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. So the birth of this child is both a miracle as well as an answer to prayer. This baby is John the Baptist, the great forerunner prophet sent by God to announce the coming, the advent of Messiah, the true rescuer king that God had promised and that his people had been waiting and praying for. In this season, which is often so busy and so full, if we take the time to slow down and to reflect on the circumstances of John's birth, we can be reminded that we have a God who hears the prayers of his people, who hears our prayers. And we have a God who breaks into the ordinary, in order to do extraordinary things. To change a circumstance, to comfort a grief, to undo a loss, to heal an illness, to restore a heart. Because this is how God works in our world. This is how God works amongst his people. God broke into the ordinariness of Zechariah's faithful life and service, and he did something extraordinary. He gave Zechariah and Elizabeth a miracle baby. The story reminds us that no matter what our circumstance, we have reason for hope. And hope is never more true than in the season of Advent and in the celebration of Christmas. Because in Christmas, we are celebrating something that's even more miraculous than this. 
See, in the ordinariness of the birth of a child, not to an older woman, but to a very young one, God did something even more extraordinary. God became one of us. The eternal Son of God took on human flesh and was born among us. His name is Jesus. In the midst of all the ordinary brokenness of our world, in which we are all very ordinary travelers, God broke in and did something beautifully extraordinary. He came to us. And that is why, no matter the circumstances of our lives, no matter how ordinary or mundane, no matter how heartbreaking or challenging, we still have reason for hope. Hope in the goodness of the God who came to be born among us to be our rescuer king. And hope in the promise that he has made to us that he will come again. He will come again to finally and forever fix all that is broken in our lives and is broken in our world. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your great unstoppable plan to rescue and to redeem a people for yourself and that we get to be counted among them. We know that you have made us to be your representatives and to rule this world with you. And yet... From the very beginning, we have not remained faithful to you. Thank you for not giving up on us and instead sending your son to be our true rescuer king. Jesus, we thank you for trading the glory of heaven for the humility of a manger, for taking on human flesh so that you could be born among us as one of us. We thank you for your promise to come again, to finally and forever fix all that's broken in our lives and in our world today. And Holy Spirit, please continue your good work in us. Help us to anticipate and to prepare to celebrate the advent of Jesus, both past and future. May the goodness and glory of the incarnation be a source of great joy and hope for us this Christmas season. And we ask that you'd continue to make us more like Jesus so that we may become more and more your agents of grace and gospel in this beautiful but broken world. As we in all joy and hope, look forward to him coming again. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.